to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast. I am Blake Cohen, one of the hosts, and I'm here with my co-host, my lovely co-host, Amanda Marino. Hi. So we're still doing the Carol Baskin intro, huh? You know, I was watching uh, clips of her on Dancing with the Stars, which I'm sorry, Carol Baskin, but you you should just stick to staking, taking care of big cats because you're not a good dancer. But it, it just reminded me again that that, that cool cats and kittens thing. I, I still love it. It is a funny intro. Now I'm so glad to be here today. I love our podcast, and sometimes business gets in the way of us being able to do our scheduled episode. But you know what? I'm grateful for when we're too busy, and I'm grateful for when we have the time. Yeah, absolutely. And we're like I said, we're on episode number 27, and we've made a commitment to really try to ramp up the episode. So we're making a commitment to our listeners to to keep it coming. And what's really been really cool is that we're seeing that we're getting thousands of listeners. We're getting people listening all over the world, which I think is uh, telling us that either this is a train wreck and people can't look away or they're actually making an impact, which I hope it's the latter. So, yeah. And I think we're pretty funny. <laughs> at least I laugh at you a lot. Yeah. We're, we're good to laugh at, or I'm good to laugh at. So we do have an awesome guest today, and I want Amanda to introduce her because they just spent quite a bit of time together getting to know each other. But this is somebody who just makes me smile, makes me happy to be around, even though I've never met her in person, just because this is how things are done in 2020. Everything's via Zoom. But she's just somebody who's very special uh, for me. I, I don't know, for whatever reason, she makes me smile. But Amanda, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Oh, yeah, she makes me smile, too. Um, thanks, Blake. And um, so we're, we have an awesome guest today. Felicia and I, you know, really just spent um, a few days together, five days, actually, all day, day and night doing a trauma intensive. And it was truly, you know, life changing, especially through COVID and as professionals that, you know, that work in the behavioral health industry and deal with families and a lot of chaos, you know, we, it's important to take care of ourselves. And I admire Felicia for her um, dedication to take care of herself, her tenacity to go after life, um, her heart, her passion, and her love for others. So, you know, and I know Felicia has a powerful message that, that is going to help a lot of people. And I actually have goosebumps saying that. So we're so happy to have you, girl. Thank you so much, Amanda. I have goosebumps too. Um, that was so such a kind introduction and you all really are funny. Um, I'm happy to be here today. My name is Felicia Kleinpeter. I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I love the the title of your podcast, Overcoming Adversity. You know, when I reflect back and think about where I am today and where I was before, um, I think overcoming adversity is a very applicable phrase for me, and I'm just really happy to be sharing uh, that with you all today. Yeah, we're we're super happy to have you, and I think that it's you're so right that it's adversity in general is something that every human being faces. And when we're in the midst of it, though, we often forget and adversity can be so isolating. 
And that's why we, we started this podcast to be broad enough to have so many different guests coming on, telling their stories and offering that, not to be cliche, but to offer hope to those that are listening to say, you know what, if this person can do it, I can do it too. And something, hoping that something that you might say today, Felicia, is going to trigger something for a man, woman, however they identify to say, I'm going to give this a shot. I think I can get out of this. Well, that's, that's a, uh, that's a wonderful thing. I, I certainly will give it my best to, um, to share something. Listen, what, what I've been through is not uncommon, unfortunately. And, but I, I always am very transparent about my story um, to others because I want to make sure that people know there is hope for sure. There's hope. So tell us what, yeah. what is your adversity? What is the adversity that you like to talk about today? Well, the biggest thing for me, I mean, being someone in recovery, that implies that I had a substance issue, uh, which I did. It was very severe. And um, because of uh, abusing alcohol and substances and through a long series of years um, and, and reaching a place where it was just absolutely chaotic, I, I had custody of my children taken away from me. On October 2nd of 2006, their father, my children's father, who I loved and adored, you know, my addiction tore us apart, you know, uh, filed with the judge an emergency sole custody hearing and I went to court um, and was declared an unfit mother and mm. you know um, I unfortunately did not get sober right away uh, so really the, the short version is that I went from being um, a stay-at-home mom in a wonderful home um, and doing all the things that moms do you know uh, house mom and school and helping with the school fair and serving lunch and Take, you know, being their t-ball coach and doing homework, you know, to doing that to, to when we separated due to my addiction, you know, co-parenting and picking them up from school. And literally one day, I just wasn't there anymore. And, and I, didn't, I didn't have any communication with my children for three years and two and a half months. I wasn't allowed to call them, write to them. So, uh, so that's, the big, that's the big adversity. Wow. That, I mean, as a mom, you know, I, I feel that. And, and I don't know if you realize it, but today's October 2nd. Oh, my. I know when you said October 2nd and I looked at the date, I was like, I had goosebumps again all over my body. And to think of where, just to think of where you've come since October 2nd then to today is just, it blows my mind. And I know as a mom, that's like the hardest thing to do is, to not be with your babies. It's so unnatural. I'm trying very hard to. Um, it's okay, let it to out. To myself together, I did no, it's not okay. realize, I, you know, I'm a business owner and it's like the days bleed into each other. And <laughs> I knew yesterday was payroll and I just, no, I did not put that together until you just said that. And oh my God. Wow. It was 14 years ago, and I'm just so incredibly grateful. I'm like, I'm just crying. I mean, it's really, really special that, that there are no coincidences, y'all, for having me here today. I just, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, but, uh, what, a, yeah. what an amazing yeah. surprise. And like, talk about coming full circle. 
to be able yeah. to talk about this now on the day that it happened 14 years ago. Oh, yeah, wow. that is amazing. And you know, Amanda, what I know of you, um, that you, I hope, do your listeners know the, the age of your children? Yeah, you can put me all out there too. I'm wide okay. open. <laughs> well, no, I agree. Um, you know, Amanda has an eight-year-old daughter and my children were nine and seven. So they were right at that age. So if you can imagine what it's like to be in your daughter's life and have one on bookends of ages and and all of a sudden, you know, they are just, all of a sudden you're not you're not deemed fit to be in their lives. And, you know, so not just how hard it was for me because I anesthetized myself with, substances and the crazy lifestyle and I was really really sick but when I look back and I talk to them about you know having to still deal with the having to work through the, the remembering hearing about them crying themselves to sleep for like months and months and months oh and God. and where's my mom and you know oh yeah she's not here because she loves drugs more than me my son said that um but anyway, uh, those those things, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the good news is, you know, to, I just want to throw a little hope in there. I know I'm not at the end of the story, but today they're 23 and 21 and we have like such a close relationship and um, we're, we're really close. And, you know, here's the thing about overcoming adversity. They know that it's okay to be imperfect that when they face challenges, it's not a weakness. It's not something to be ashamed of. They have watched their mother go from as low as you could go to a thriving, honest person with integrity and a big heart that help pe helps people. You know, so they are so proud. And what I believe through my adversity is I have given them permission to be imperfect. And I think a lot of kids grow up thinking that they have to be, you know, high achievers like their dad or nobody goes through anxiety or nobody has an eating disorder, whatever it might be. And um, right. because they see kids in school that are also keeping those secrets, right? Right. And so, so they really, it's opened up so much conversation about that. And, and both of my kids have gone through things that they come to me and say, like, I'm really struggling with this. And, um, and I had something else to say and I forgot, so I'll move on. You know, it's it's interesting that, you know, we, we always talk about breaking the cycle. You know, I, I don't know if any of the listeners are aware, I'm sure you guys are, the talk about epigenetics. So it's essentially that we pass along our traumas through, uh, through our genetics. We pass along our addictions. We pass along a lot of these things that, that develop. And so the generation to generation continues to see the same behavior. It's interesting, though, that they talk about breaking that cycle by finding recovery and it's to me it's mostly because of the example that you're giving to the generations after you that it's okay to have these struggles it's okay to talk about where for our generation and i know for me it's just so it was so difficult it was so it was not commonplace that if you have this type of struggle it's not commonplace to be able to ask for help the stigma surrounding addiction is horrible right? It's gotten better, but it was horrible. But I can only imagine the guilt and shame you must have been felt, you must have felt being labeled an unfit mother. I can only imagine the right. stigma surrounding that. Well, because the stigma is much worse as a mother. It's like, oh, she's a mother. How could she do that? Right? But you, Felicia, you didn't want to do that. 
No, I didn't. You didn't um, want, it wasn't your choice to be like, oh yeah, let me just check out of my kids' lives. And, and I mean, that was never what you wanted. Never, never what I wanted. I did. It's like, you know, it's so crazy being in, uh, having a substance issue. It's like, as time progressed, it got worse and worse, but I absolutely did not see the truth. I did not see, um, I, I just couldn't see how bad it was. And no, I, I certainly did not want to be out of my children's lives. You know, here's the thing. Everyone has a different background. It's, it, you know, we are all, we're all different and we're all the same. You know, there was a certain level of, you know, shame because, um, you know, I was raised by a good family. Uh, we, we had a lot of abundance. I'm a college graduate. I was married to a very successful attorney. My kids were in private school. It was not common for a mom, for anyone in my children's school, much less grade, for a mom to lose custody for a cocaine addiction. It was, so it was like, it was just, you know, it's all bad. I'm not saying anybody's situation is better than another, but it was like, they were, it really stuck out because uh, we were in a, you know, in a group of people where those kind of things didn't happen, or at least nobody talked about it, as you were saying. So it really, you know, p kids were mean to my kids and, and, you know, parents would, would whisper in their presence and they would hear things they were saying and, and all that kind of stuff. And so here's the thing that we share though, is this happens to everyone. It happens to all races, all sexualities, all economic status, all, you know, everyone. I mean, this, this is happening to everyone. And, and for some reason, um, people think that they, they're alone and that they don't know what's going on. And, and so anyhow, I, that's what I was going to say. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you earlier is recently, you know, Amanda, I didn't show these to you when I saw you, but I had them in a book. Recently, I came across pictures of my children from their school year, the school year that I lost custody of them. It said 2006-2007. And I don't even know how I came upon these pictures. Perhaps my children's father sent them to my mother and she, I don't even know, I don't recall ever having seen these, which is so weird that I just stumbled upon them. And I look at them, it was their first year at the school in Baton Rouge and they're wearing their little school uniform. And I looked at those recently as I found them and thought, what the, you know what, how is something so powerful that it takes me, that it took me away from these beautiful faces? Like it was, it's mind boggling. But, yeah. but yeah. I know, being a treatment professional and being in recovery, that this is what it does. It just, I mean, and I just, so today I'm so glad I keep those because it's like, I will never go back there to where I'm not seeing them or available to them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting uh, that the level of perspective going through a substance use disorder and coming out on the other end and finding recovery, whatever that recovery looks like, it's interesting the amount of perspective that it offers us and the amount of gratitude. And it just, it shifts our whole perspective on life. And it, it just gives us this different view of like, look how beautiful my kids are. Look how, look how, what we've been through and how grateful I am for where I'm at right now. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And how lucky are they to have you as a mom with like what you just said, like, 
they're so fortunate to have a mom like you that shows up for them. And, and yes, you did go through what you you've gone through, but like you said, it's now you give them a safe space for them to make mistakes and for them to have things that come up in their life and not feel like they have to be perfect all the time. Well, absolutely. I think it's a big freedom. I really do. And, you know, I, I love my daughter is a, a senior in college here in New Orleans. My son is in community college and, you know, my daughter's friends all come to me with things. Um, and, uh, you know, she knows anyone who needs help. I mean, it's, it's great, you know, it's great being, I, to go from where I was to being the parent that everyone turns to is such a gift. And I tell you this, I mean, it's the most important, my recovery is my most important thing. Of course, it gives me everything in my life, but I, I would never disrespect my children by throwing that away. I just, you know, I'm so grateful that I, that they have forgiven me and that they see the good in me. And, um, you know, when I, when I had that petition served on me and all the charges of why I was an unfit mother, you know, one of the, the condition was I go to treatment, finish treatment, stay sober a year. And, you know, their, my children's dad said, it's not, I just don't want you to be clean from drugs. I want you to be someone your children can look up to. I need you to go to work. I need you to be a role model. Like he wanted all of those things for his children. Wow. And I can honestly say without sounding like I'm bragging is that I get to be those things today. And, um, and it really means a lot to me before, I mean, the, the, the business that I do now, I, I was a stay at home mom. I never worked. I mean, this is like, I, I grew up at 43 when I got sober and, waitress and got this little job and got that little job and then got a bigger job and more responsibility, you know, all those things. And, you know, the thing too is I think about this time that in my early recovery, right, when I actually I was two and a half years sober before I got to drive my kids in my car and my son found a pack of cigarettes in my glove box and he said, whose are these? And I said, oh, I was carrying them for a friend. Mm. And then we happened to be going to therapy the next day, and I, the first thing I said is, Hank, I lied to you yesterday. Those were not a friend's, those were mine. I am so sorry I lied to you. I had so much shame. I thought you were gonna be upset with me, and that doesn't matter. What matters is that I will always tell you the truth. And he appreciated that. This might be a tiny little thing, but he was so used to me lying that it just like met the world. So just instilling all of those values and, uh, you know, being more in line with who his dad is, who happens to be a really uh, honest person. So I'm just grateful. Wow. It's, I don't know why it keeps coming to my head and it may be so cheesy, but you went from unfit mother to be unfit mother. It's pretty Oh, that's so cute. I, I, I missed what you just said, Blake. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I said you went from unfit mother to beyond fit mother. Oh, that's so cute. Thank you. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think I just found the title for this episode, so... <laughs> just, just be aware. <laughs> so tell us, tell us, let's fast forward a little bit and let's tell us what were the, what was the last day before you actually ended up going to get, get clean and go to work on yourself and tell us about those first few days of going to get better too. What was that like? What did you do specifically that helped you overcome this adversity? That's wow. That's a good question. So those, those last days, you want me to start there? Sure. So on July 2nd, the 2nd seems to be a popular date, um, July 2nd, 2008. So realize now this is almost two years um, that I was in my addiction. I'd gone to treatment a couple of times, but wasn't 
you know, whatever. My mom called my dad about a week before who lives in the desert in California, in Palm Desert, and said, you have to take her. She's falling faster than I can catch her. And here I am, a 43-year-old woman living at my mom's house and, you know, doing all the things. And so I moved out there with my dad and lived in his little casita, his little guest home. And basically, I slept and ate for two weeks. I was so exhausted. And um, while I was there, I happened to run into, long story short, you know, I moved there to, to, to be a better mom and to go to treatment and to change my life. And I wound up meeting somebody and we had, you know, one night of partying and, oh, it was the worst. And the next day I said, I'm just, I just, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I can't keep doing the same thing. Right. So fortunately I got a call, the center that I wanted to go to had a bed and, and went there. And I tell you what, the, you know, walking in there, it was all women and all kinds of walks of life. I mean, literally, this is kind of a funny story. I hope it's okay for the podcast. You know, my dad's a fancy kind of guy. You know, he's a good guy, great guy. And just, you know, and uh, we go into this treatment center and there's a smoke pit, uh, smoking area. And there are all kinds of girls there. And there were some girls that were like, looked rough, let's just say, kind of, you know, white beater shirts and sure. a bunch of piercings and, and all this. And, you know, I look like, I don't know, whatever, doesn't matter. And my dad turns to me and says, oh, sweetie, I'm not sure if this is the place for you. And I'm like, oh, it definitely is, dad. Like, <laughs> like we are all the same. It's not, I always said it's not the coat of paint. It's what's on the inside. Mm. And so I felt so at home there. I knew this was my shot. And I knew that something in me said, like, I don't, you know, there's a lot of drama in treatment centers and with girls and women, you know, how it works. And uh, I said, I don't care. I saw other girls fighting and leaving and, you know, bullying or whatever. And it was like, somebody leaves treatment because they don't like the way someone's looking at them. I'm like, oh my God, they could die. And so I made a decision. I just, I didn't care what anybody did. I was staying and I was getting what I could and got introduced to the 12 steps and, and uh, loved my counselors, and and you know that I, I felt so free even from the beginning, and just decided to really take the journey. So That's I learned great. a lot, yeah, and uh, and just been going ever since then. So it's I love what you just said though that it because it's interesting that how our how parents no matter where how far down the rabbit hole we go, parents always seem to have this bl these blinders on which is, is sweet in a sense, but they, they just don't see us for who we are and they don't see how much you actually relate to those people by that smoking pit, that you, you are just like them, you just look different. Exactly, and the danger in that is that's why some people stay sick. If you're a professional, if you are more affluent, if you are whatever, uh, that you're, so many families turn their eye and go, well, they graduated a major university or they're, they're a professional, like, it can't be happening to them or, or they were raised with two parents at home. You know what I mean? Like, no, it can, and it is. And so let's get to the truth and help them. There is I mean, no exempt. And so that can be a real barrier for people. I mean, Amanda, right? Like that, that is exactly the stigma that I think we're always trying to fight that it's, it's anybody, Absolutely. this could happen to anyone at any point. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, it, what you yep. look like. It's just, it doesn't matter. Right. We, I mean, we deal with, we deal with some people that have on the outside looks like they have like a perfect life and lots of struggles behind closed doors. And sometimes that's even harder to recover from, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, um, so what is it? What what about like what you know? I I know what you do moving forward. So I'd like for you to share. What do you do now to either help others or to help yourself? Like, what does it look like for you you now because of your adversities and like what you've gone through? Well, um, thank you for asking. Um, well, in, there's twofold uh, in my recovery program. I am like the most honest person. And so, you know, be before COVID, when people used to meet together in real life, um, I remember being at meetings and just, you know, meeting girls. This is, you know, losing custody of children is quite common. And so, you know, the same experience that I had when I was new and I would look to someone who looked like they had their life put together and they drove a nice car and they had cute clothes. Like I was so far away from that, that, oh, they didn't go through what I went through. So now maybe I look like that, you know, I've got a good job and all this and, and uh, I'll, I'll maybe give a, a girl a ride home to her halfway house. And there, you know, there's a lot of shame. Like I lost custody of my kids and I'm like, oh, so did I. And like, oh, but you wouldn't, I go, oh, let me just tell you all about it. And so we, I mean, there's some laughter just because they don't see me as having that happen to me. And what happened to me is when I was new in recovery and I would hear people's stories where they looked like they were so respectable and like a lady. And then I would hear that the same thing happened to them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can rise up. Right. So, so there's that aspect where I just love to let people know where I came from because it inevitably gives people hope where when they're in that situation they don't hear those stories and then in my career um i own a treatment program in new orleans called imagine recovery i have spent most of the day on the phone with families uh one had a 20 22 year old one had a 19 year old and and give them hope as far as you know what we do here and what i've been through and and how they're relating to their kids who are going through things you know i can see it from all angles and so, you know, it's my mission to help people. And, you know, I get calls like, you know, they have an, they have a state insurance that I don't take. And, and I just like, I don't, I don't want her to go anywhere else. She's got to come here. So we, you know, figure it out. And, um, and I just love it. I love to give them, I love to give people hope. I love to, you know, uh, just share and uh, give, as we say, give freely away what was so freely given to me. And you truly do that. I, I see your passion. I, I see you come alive with Imagine. And, you know, and I know that you've filled such a need in your community there, you know, not a lot of resources for help. And, you know, you've really filled a need for, for your community and for people from all over that come from all over, you know, but you, you're so passionate about what you do and people that come to your program are so fortunate. Well, I appreciate that. And one thing that I do, uh, just so you know, is just because I choose to is, you know, when people call, uh, everyone has my cell. I mean, it's like on the web, it's like, you know, Google, <laughs> but you know, my phones roll to my cell, my main line here at Imagine, you know, forwards to my cell at night on the weekends. And it's such a joy when someone calls at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, expecting to leave a voicemail for a center that's gonna get back to them on Monday morning. And I'm like, hi, this is Felicia. And they're like, wait, what just happened? Like, and there's, you know, I'm like, darling, I know. So, you know, this is not a nine to five thing. And, and, you know, there are those times as we all know that the phone rings and it's not a no number. And I'm like, 
oh no, or I'm so tired, or I'm watching this great show. And the second I mute the show and say hello, then it's like the greatest thing that happened to me that day, right? Yeah. Isn't that the way it always happens? Yeah. So Absolutely. I feel so fortunate. And my, my assistant or my clinicians here be like, do you need me to take the phone? And I'm like, no, I love taking the phones. Like, you know, so, so it's, it's just really, really important um, to, to be able to connect to people. I love connecting with people. It's such a, a great show and of your dedication though, too, to, to and I, we know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I go through the same, it's almost like my ego comes back in this horrible way when I get these phone calls after hours. It's like, it's like 5.01 in the afternoon. And I'm like, how, how dare you call me after business hours? And then as soon as I get on the phone, I'm just lost in that phone call and talking to these people. Whether we could help them or not, it's just still being the voice of somebody who answers the phone when somebody's in need is such a special feeling. Oh, absolutely. 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 It is always fun though when it's like a Sunday when you're like trying to detach and like all kinds of client issues arise in your phone call. <laughs> you can't deal with the phone all day. Blake and I have like a number of Sundays like for like a month in a row. We were like, oh my goodness, you know, yeah. but you know what? That's part, that's part of the deal, you know, it's part of the deal. It is. It so is. grateful. Yeah. So I, we, I appreciate your story so much and I appreciate the hope that, that you've given to so many people and the fact that you were able to overcome it and get into treatment and really make the most of it and take it seriously. Just send such a strong message out to people of you can still go to treatment and not take it seriously. And, but the problem right. with that is it's going to land you right back in treatment again. So if you want right. to be successful in your treatment stay and in your recovery, it really is about being open-minded, taking the suggestions that the professionals give you, that the people around you who've been through it before give you. And if you do that, you can have a life like Felicia's where now she's in this amazing state of gratitude and giving back to those around her. And beyond that, like, you know, beyond your recovery, Felicia, like, you know, continuing to do your own work on, in other areas, um, you know, going after your dreams. I mean, many people do follow the suggestions of recovery and then sell themselves short with a lot of the things in life. And you truly have had healing and gone after all your dreams, you know, healing with your kids, healing for yourself, forgiveness for yourself and following your dreams and your heart. Thank you. I mean, I feel like the, the harder I, that we all work at our recovery, the, the more limitless our futures are, you know? Um, if I could comment on something that I was just thinking when Blake shared, you know, um, one of the greatest gifts that I had that I didn't even realize at the time when I was first in treatment was um, with time. You know, I had conditions um, that I had to, like I said, you know, finish treatment, be sober at least a year before I would even have a chance at having a phone conversation with my children, much less seeing them. So I was in a unique position, I, you know, being in an all-female treatment center, I saw a lot of women that have lost custody that are like, I've been sober 30 days, I want my kids, you know, and all that. And the, I had to be patient. I had no chance. So it gave me this freedom to not be on edge. Is it like today or is it tomorrow or is it next week? And sort of pushing my will on the situation. And so, you know, what I will say is, um, and, and I was sharing this with Amanda the other day. I have a fabulous sobriety anthem that still to this day when I hear it, like makes me cry. And it's The Climb by Miley Cyrus. I will joke, yes, I, if that makes me a geek, that's fine. No, but um, the message I love is, it. 
Oh, it's a, it's a great song. And, and anyone out there who's struggling that needs a song to keep you going, because the message was, it's the climb, it's the journey, right? It's, for me, it's not about what's on the other side, which is the children. It's about the path to get there and keep the faith, keep on moving, keep climbing, you know, um, and don't doubt yourself and believe in yourself. I mean, all the words, if I, I want everyone who's listening here to go listen to that song, it's phenomenal. And, and that kept me going, just like, it's like if I just take the next step in the right direction and take enough steps in, in order, then, um, then hopefully that will happen. And I didn't have any guarantees, but, but patience is such a huge thing. I feel like when I finally saw them, I was 17 months sober and I, and I was just where I needed to be healed myself, you know, emotionally and physically and spiritually, that I was who I needed to be for them when I finally got with them. And so, so if I may encourage just, Give yourself time uh, and, and, you know, just make, just listen to other people and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I would definitely think patience was a huge gift. Yeah. Love it. I love it too. I, mean, I think everybody needs their own recovery anthem. There's like, there's just certain songs that just trigger something in us. And one of the songs that actually triggers something in me is um, the intro to this podcast. It's a Queen song, I Want to Break Free. And it's just breaking free of all the lies and the self-satisfying ego and all of these things. I just, I want to be free. And it's such a powerful song to me. Oh, that is an incredible song. I love that break free, you know, and I have to say that, you know, we, we all know we don't do this alone and there are, you know, the recovery community and community of therapists. I mean, there's so many healers out there and people who have something to offer that they want to, you know, it's so hard being new for people to realize that you're not bothering somebody when you call them or that you're not taking up too much time. It's such a gift to give away. And, you know, in, in my life, my partner, Christopher's in long-term recovery, having a partner who I can talk to and uh, life partner and business partner. So that's, that's fun. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just um, the, the, the community of support and love, you know, with no strings attached. And for a lot of people in their lives, they've never had a relationship without strings attached, you know? Yeah. yeah. Love I, it. Yeah. I, have, I have a client right now that we actually stopped doing professional work with because we felt like everybody in this person's life is their strings attached. Everybody's on the payroll. And we wanted to show yeah. him that, look, we're willing to stick around whether you pay us or not. You don't need to pay us to be your friend. We are willing to support your recovery and be there for you if you're making the right moves. So you don't need to pay us, let's do it. You know, Blake, that says so much about you and Amanda. That is so beautiful. You know, that, that for that kid, everything is transactional, right? And you made it so that it was just pure love. What an amazing thing to say and that you showed that action. I bet that kid heard that and, and it really sunk in to him that, yeah, it's not just because my daddy's paying or whatever, you know. So, how bravo. It's funny you say kid. Thank He's you. actually 30 years older than me. <laughs> well, 30, He's an old 30, kid. <laughs> 30, 30 we to both me is a kid. No, no, I, I, said, I said he's 30 years older than me. Oh, older yeah. than you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we've had done that with a few people lately because we felt like, 
you know, we just wanted them to know that we weren't like rent a friends or, you know, at some point once they got stable or once they followed our recommendations, you know, because it's about doing what's best for the clients and their family, you know. Of course. Oh, and the reason that I, I don't know why I thought it was a kid. I just pictured in my head that, but, but of course, when you're talking about on the payroll, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood in California that had a lot of, you know, wealthy and successful and famous people. And my parents had friends that were, you know, actors and singers and that, you know, had a hard time getting sober because um, as we've seen many people die, uh, you know, singers and songwriters and, because people that are you're paying people and they won't hold you accountable because oh, yeah. they it, their their livelihood is at stake so they just have a bunch of yes men around them and so this man may have been a professional who's like people do anything i want and so they have to because i'm paying them so no i totally respect where you're coming from and and for people to know what just pure love is 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 beautiful I had a conversation once, and I know you're going to be like, how do you do this? You're so young. I don't understand how you've done so much, but because uh, that's what you said to me before. But I, I actually ended up for a radio show that I was hosting for a while, interviewed Dr. Drew Pinsky, who's yeah, obviously everybody's you know famous from Celebrity Rehab on VH1 back in the day. And he, I asked him that question is, why is it so difficult for celebrities or people in power to get sober? And he said, it's not necessarily them that's the problem. It's the people around them pressuring them to get back to work because they're all on the payroll. And they know if, if this guy's away and not making money, then their money's going to be damaged. So there's a lot of the times the people on the payroll don't have the person's best interest in mind. Well, that's absolutely true. You know, we work with a lot of musicians here at, because in Imagine Recovery because, you know, we're in a music community in New Orleans. And... I, Christopher and I both sit on the board of an organization called Send Me a Friend, was founded by singer, songwriter Anders Osborne uh, and another gentleman, Bill Taylor. And, you know, Anders got sober and that's the, that's the thing. Like the band members need to go back to work and it's hard to, uh, to support someone. Anyway, so like what, exactly what you're saying and the mission for that organization, Send Me a Friend, is they, um, what we do is we connect musicians or music industry people, you could be the sound engineer, you could be the roadie. When you're going back to work, of course, it's challenging now with COVID, but they have a database of thousands and thousands of recovery people in the world. And so let's say I'm in a band, I'm a female singer in a band and I'm going to San Antonio. Uh, they can match up a recovering woman there that will just show up at my show for free and just wow. to connect. And now I have a safe person in the audience because of the atmosphere and my you know, they're offering me drinks, they're offering me drugs, my band members are using or maybe my Coke dealer or something. So, so yeah, supporting people in a position. Uh, anyway, it's just, it reminded me of that uh, when, when you said that, because correct, when, when the main person is going away to treatment or changing their life, it doesn't flow with the people that are already there. It, it, it's not very supportive. Right. No, it is tough. Very well, tough. I uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And I love that. That organiz organization sounds amazing. Sendmeafriend.org. Check it out. Definitely. Well, I'll put that in the Absolutely. links for the show. So, Felicia, we have one last little segment on this show that we like to surprise our guests with. Unless they've listened to the show before, they don't know this is coming. But we have a segment on here called Let It Out. So the idea behind it is that 
everybody that we talk to has some type of major adversity that they've overcome. But the reality is, is that we're all facing daily adversities on a regular basis. And sometimes we just got to share. We just got to let the problem out because a problem shared is a problem cut in half. So what I'm asking you is what is it that you want to let out today? What is bugging you today that you just want to let it out and let it go and be done with it? How much time you got, Blake? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Well, there's a couple things, you know, right this minute, I think about that uh, my business just leased the building next door um, to uh, be able to offer in-person services in a large space. And we're going to do some expansion and I have no idea what that's going to look like. And, you know, I'm really happy right where I am. And so the thought of moving further is terrifying and also hopeful at the same time. So there's that, um, you know, the unknown, I've gotten to a really safe spot with a great business and it's like, okay, we're just going to stay here forever. So continuing to walk the path and, and have trust and follow the dreams and all that. As far as, you know, Amanda's very aware that what drove me to the trauma intensive is that I have developed um, a really debilitating fear of driving over like bridges and on ramps and, and all this kind of stuff. It kind of came out of nowhere. And I used to drive for a little, I mean, I would travel the country, you know, in my job. And, and so, um, you know, what's that all about? And, and so that's why I went to the trauma intensive to unlock, because it's not, as, as Judy said, it's not about the bridge. It's not about the bridge. You know, there's something else. And so that's an adversity that I'm willing to work on because I want to be free. I want to be free to be who I need to be, you know, and uh, to not feel imprisoned by anything. By, and if, you know, if that's fear, like tangible fear or just of the unknown. So I guess that's where I will get off my chest today is I think it's being human and, um, you know, I, I spent so many years in the dark, not looking at anything. And today, and in my recovery, I want to look at everything and work through it. Awesome. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was on mute. We're, we're still getting all we're all still getting used to this whole Zoom thing. It's been <laughs> six months. Very, very power. No, very powerful, Felicia. Well, yeah. thanks. That actually might have been one yeah. of the best, most honest let it outs we've ever had. Usually it's like tra- <laughs> it's like traffic or people don't put their shopping carts away. That was pretty good. It's the people who wear their masks under their noses. Okay, there's one of those two. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I understand that one. Yeah, yeah. Amanda, what do you what do you say? What's your let it out? Um, let's see. I was trying to think of one. Um the first thing that comes to mind is like, actually I posted the other day about like everyone, including ourselves on this, this podcast, like seek authenticity and not approval. You know, like I feel like everybody's always trying to be something that they're not to please other people or a lot of people are. And like we portray, you know, a lot of people portray like one life on social media and then are another, have another life behind and, keep it real be who you are be true to yourself um i'm not mad at you you know sometimes it gets a little it'll get a little annoying especially when you know the two sides of the social media person and the real life person but um just just be authentic you know that's that's my let it out like i'm just i'm just seeking deep authenticity in my life okay that's a good one that's a really good one i agree that is a good one um what's yours Oof. I mean, mine are also superficial. It's like, huh. Uh, 
You know, I guess what I, what I would say is that I hate to chime in with the rest of the country here, but I, I'm feeling a little bit cramped up recently. And between being really busy with work, which is such a huge blessing, and then my weekends being taken up by school, and then COVID, I, I'm getting a little bit cooped up in a small one-bedroom apartment, and I sort of want to be able to fast-forward to where my wife and I are in a house, but we haven't even started that process yet. So and we can't for a few more months. So I'm feeling a little bit cooped up. Like I, I need a change of scenery at this point to do some work. And it's, it is getting to me. It's sort of like an underlying slow build of anxiety where I have bigger moments of it, but it's sort of just this like, this feeling in my chest of sort of, I'm never able to completely catch my breath. So I, that's where my let it out is. I, it, it comes from a place of gratitude because it's weird, I'm blessed. There's so many great things happening. At the same time, I really can't focus on the future. I can't focus on much else because I'm so stuck with everything that's happening right now. I'm, so, I'm just, I'm almost forced to be in this moment because there's so much happening and I'm juggling I'm just adding more balls to the juggling act that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Well, you're taking that trip soon to Colorado. That should help. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You deserve a little hiatus, too, after I just had one, you know? <laughs> Much needed. I get it. I was burned out, too. But then afterwards, I was ready. I was on the phone in the car on the way home, and I was like, Blake, I'm ready. What's going on? <laughs> and I was right? like, recharged and ready to roll. Yeah. So, you know, I, think, I do... Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Amanda. Go no, ahead. that's it. That's it. That was it. Yeah, I just think it is hard, Blake, to be uh, physically confined. You know, I've been blessed that every day since quarantine, I've come to work because my I'm a essential healthcare place. You know, and even though it was just me and my office manager, um, being being cooped up is difficult, especially when you're busy. You want to like stretch out. So I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, hopefully it'll turn around soon. You know, and it's, it's funny because there's part of it too that yes, I'm busy and yes, all the things I mentioned are very real, but I do know that it's also one of my character defects that I have to work on is a, is a sense of entitlement and also being a, an extremely imaginative dreamer of that. I want more. I have these dreams of these great things happening yet. I, I have to always balance that it takes work ethic to get there. And I have this underlying sense of entitlement that I'm always working to keep at bay that like, no, if I want great things, I have to really work towards and never going to fall on my lap. So it's almost like a frustration of that. That's where I go when I get way too busy. It's just like, I don't want to do this. I want to be successful, but I don't want to work for it. But I know that that's but not you the do. case. But I do. Yeah, but yes. you do. <laughs> so it's, you do quite the opposite of, of not. I think you even do more, you know? Oh, and I appreciate you saying that. And I, I agree. I think I do. It's just, it's a constant balancing act of fighting that inner voice, which I think a lot of us all have. It just, it tells us different things. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Well, you can always come to Mar the Marino house and spread out you and Chrissy. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you need to come visit New Orleans. I would love Oh, yeah. To. By, part of my uh, part of the new space next door is there's a separate apartment that is just going to be there for friends and colleagues and so and it's we're on a Yay. great street magazine street the restaurants and shops and the zoo is like a mile away and the beautiful Audubon Park and so 
So come on down. Oh, we're coming. Yeah, come on. <laughs> we're, we're definitely coming. New Orleans is my favorite food city of all the cities in the country. I love well, New yeah. Orleans. Of course. <laughs> right. I know it seems like an obvious statement to somebody who lives there, but it, 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 it's not obvious. I've, I've been all over the country and there's never been consistently from breakfast to all the way to dinner, just more flavor in my food than when I was in New Orleans. It is so true. We are so fortunate. We are so fortunate. All right, Felicia. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us how well, people wait. can find you? What? What did I do wrong? Oh, that's what I was going to say. I thought you were done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Go back to what you were saying. No. Yeah. This is a, you forgot. It's not my first show, Amanda. I know. People <laughs> freak. I know. I'm joking. So, all right. Um, so Felicia, where can people find you? Are you on social media? What's your website for your treatment center? Sure. Sure. Uh, social media, Facebook, Felicia Monteforte Kleinpeter. Um, we do have an Imagine Recovery IOP Facebook page. Um, what's fun is Christopher runs our Instagram. So that's Imagine Recovery One. And I'm Felicia uh, underscore Imagine. Anyway, website, imaginerecovery.com. Um, you know, I'm gonna, is it weird to just put my cell number out there so people can call if they need some, some hope? Whatever you want, if, yeah, if that's okay. okay with you. You got a pen? 225-937-1132. If any of you out there are going through something that I may be able to help you with, I would love to have you call me. Um, and on my website, of course, is our, um, office phone. I can, I'm always here. So... I guess that's it. You know, that's, that's my info. Love it. Love it. And reach out to Felicia. She's amazing. And, um, you know, Blake and I, our company next level recovery associates sponsors our podcast. How convenient is that? And you can find <laughs> us at next level recovery associates.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, you can find our overcoming adversity podcast, Instagram and Facebook page. Uh, Blake Cohen is on LinkedIn and Blake, what is your um, Instagram? Blake Evan C. Okay. And I'm Amanda Marino recovery on Instagram. So connect with us. We're so grateful for your, you taking time to listen to our podcast. We love what we do. Awesome, everybody. Well, thank you again, Felicia. Thank you all so much for having me and uh, for the gift of realizing that it's October 2nd, 2020, <laughs> and it's a far cry from October 2nd, 2006. Thank you both so much. I love and adore you, and I think you guys are incredible. Thank you. Oh, we feel the same. Feelings mutual. We're glad Thank we you. could share this day with you. And me it too. Thanks for asking. I just... It, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. No it problem. was magical that it happened today, 14 years later. I know. Wow. I'm going to tell this story when I go out and see the rest of my staff. Weird. Yep. And to all of our listeners, if you have somebody that you think would be a great guest on our show, feel free to email us at overcomingadversitypodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on, on LinkedIn or on Instagram and even Facebook. And that does it for episode number 27. We love y'all. I want to...